I Like That, a podcast about things we like and occasionally things we don't. I'm Sally Tamarkin. Uh, I'm back. Um, here's an episode for you to listen to, which I think you're excited about based on what I'm seeing on Instagram, like heads. Uh, we're going to be talking about rom-coms. I have a very special guest, Ella Cerrone. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You are the author of my new favorite book, Viva Lola Espinosa. Also one of my favorite books. We're going to talk about your book in a little bit, and we're going to talk about rom-coms. You are um, my internet's foremost rom-com scholar, um, maybe you. possibly the entire internet. So I'm very excited to have you here. Oh, I, I, there are so many scholars who I am in good company with, and I'm really excited because I do think, you know, there was a big boom of rom-coms in the 90s and the aughts, and we are overdue. And I do think people are getting back to that. And I think people are realizing that, yes, rom-coms have been and always will be valuable. Uh, so I'm excited. Rom-com supremacy. I'm now on a whole new kick of being like, of being like, why, why are we bothering with other genres? I'm like, I'm so in the zone right now. Before we get into all that, we're going to do a vibe track, which is how we start every episode. And I'll go first because you're the guest. And so you can just like, you can sit there and you can like, think about what kind of vibe you want to talk about. The vibe for me is that August is the February of summer. Like, it's just like, what are we still doing right now? Like, how is it still hot all the time? How is it still light at nine o'clock? I've, I've gone on record as saying that 9 p.m. It should be dark. It's too late for the sun to be out as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I'm having just like, it's just sort of like, let's keep it moving. Um, let's get to the fall, which is my favorite season. Where are you season wise, Ella? How do you feel about? Oh, oh, I am a hardcore. Halloween is a year round mindset. So fall is where I thrive. Okay, but you are from you're from Los Angeles, right? I'm from Los Angeles, land of 72 and sunny. Um, one of my favorite, well, least favorite memories, but my favorite ways of explaining Los Angeles weather to those of you who have never experienced it is I had a high school job at Starbucks. And I took a Christmas shift because it was time and a half pay and my mom did not raise a fool. However, I spent that entire Christmas making caramel frappuccinos because that was the weather that day. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes. Los Angeles is great for many things. Uh, it is also great for temperate weather in the winter. I, I never saw snowfall until I moved to New York. Oh, my God. How do you feel about seasons? I love seasons. You do? Okay. I love them. I definitely feel like winter has its charms. And when Christmas time rolls around, and if it's even when it's like a little bit too mild, it's if it's there's not a nip in the air, it doesn't really feel like Christmas time. So I can totally see how it would be like, it would be disorienting to make caramel frappuccinos uh, on Christmas. Yeah. And when you grow up, you grow up with, you know, Hallmark movies and every single movie shows Christmas and wintertime, which is why, uh, gosh, what was it? When Almost Famous came out, mm -hmm. it was a revelation to me because the opening scene oh, yeah. is Christmas in San Diego. And I was like, I know this. That's awesome. Yeah, that's like that was representation. Yeah, I was going to say representation matters. Um, OK, cool. So, yeah, so that's my vibe. I mean, you know, I Summer is still, it's still the, the season of like relaxation for me anyway. And, you know, enjoying being outdoors and stuff, but now it's enough. It's enough already as my grand, 
my grandfather would say. Um, so it feels like February. Ella, what is your vibe? Um, my vibe right now is that like, I'm really taking the spirit of Barbenheimer to heart in like go big or go home. Um, I think everybody should do theme costumes for every single movie we see now. I think everything should be an event. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, I think we all kind of felt this um, once, you know, it was like the great reopening and everybody was like, I'm going to wear all my sequins and all my neon mm-hmm. once the world opens up again. Um, and then I think that maybe waned a little bit. But I think, I don't know, I'm I'm all for just really like doing the bit for the bit. I love that. Yeah, just commit, like lean into it. Exactly. Yeah. Like what you like and do it. I love the idea of making things an event. And I have to say that like when I, 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 what did I go to? I think I went to like one of the Lord of the Rings movies on opening night, kind of um, like inadvertently, like it, it wasn't like out of enthusiasm. It was just like a scheduling thing. And there were people that were dressed up in, you know, wizardy things. And I was like, okay, I mean, listen, like I, I, I was socialized in the United States of America to think this shit is nerdy, but so I had a lot of disdain. I was younger. Um, it was a long time ago. It was a different era. Now I see people dressing up. Obviously people, you know, did it for Harry Potter and stuff like that. I think the Barbenheimer thing is even more interesting because dressing up for like a fantasy movie, it's like, it's much more costumey and it's much more Hall- Halloween-y, which is like fine that that's great but like the barbie thing is like just people are wearing pink which i think is Mm -hmm. is a much more interesting for some reason it is like it is more interesting and like subversive to me than like dressing up like a a hobbit or a wizard or something no shade to people who do hobbits and wizards like that those are great costumes too right like i always think about how one year for comp i was on the train at the same time comic con was happening and i saw a guy um who went full hobbit like straight out of the Shire to the point where he had glued, I guess, like some sort of fake hair extension pieces, whatever, onto Vibrams, those shoes with the toes on them. Oh, that's to, actually like, mimic genius. comic feet. It was really smart, but oh also really unnerving. But you wouldn't wear those hairy Vibrams on the day to day, like you couldn't wear that to the, I mean, maybe you could wear that to your office. Like if you want to more power to you. Yeah. But meanwhile, the other day my coworker came in and she was wearing a pink shirt and I immediately just said, hi Barbie. (laughs) That's incredible. How did, how did she take it? She said, hi Barbie back as she should. I love it. Because this is the year of Barbie. That's incredible. I still haven't seen it um, due to scheduling things, but I I will soon. I don't know if I'm going to see, did you see Oppenheimer? I did not. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to see that. I Chris Christopher Nolan exhausts me. I love Killian Murphy, but Christopher Nolan makes me feel very exhausted. He's he, he's a lot to take in. You have to be in the mindset for Christopher Nolan. Uh, I could talk about things I don't like about Christopher Nolan all day, but we're here to talk about rom-coms. So um, let me just say really quickly, follow Oh, I Like That on Instagram at Oh, I Like That Pod. Um, not on Twitter because I don't tweet anymore uh, for the show. Um, and you can still get, Oh, I like that merch, uh, at T public. Uh, okay. Let's talk about rom-coms. Let me say that when we started planning this episode, I was like, what should I watch? 
Will you? Okay, I, I, you told me start with um the 2005 Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley, mm-hmm. and Fire Island, which came out last summer, right? Yes. Okay. There were some other ones that you mentioned. Can you say what they, what they were? Absolutely. I mean, narrowing down which rom coms to watch. They're all so varied. They're all so good. I really did try to give um, a breadth of things. Let me. I will pause, please, while I. I am. Um, I I asked you to say myself. it because I couldn't remember, which is so rude. Because now I'm making you remember. <laughs> no, it's fine. Hang on one moment. Yeah, yeah. Take your time. Hold music, please. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, so my prescription was Pride and Prejudice, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wedding Planner, right. which is bar none, the best JLo rom-com. And a perfect encapsulation of my favorite element of the rom-com or of the heterosexual rom-com mm-hmm. in which the man is just utterly enthralled, besotted, just mystified. Uh, who's the who's Matthew, the oh Matthew McConaughey okay Matthew McConaughey understood the assignment in the wedding planner. okay I have to say I we're both also like JLo enthusiasts it should be noted yeah um uh JLo Ben Affleck enthusiasts right maybe like that's my entire... I'm I'm for sure a, a JLo and Ben Affleck enthusiast and also just just a JLo enthusiast generally like I would say that like on a given day like 20 percent of my texts to certain friends of mine are like about Jennifer Lopez. Um, but I haven't seen the wedding planner. So I, I obviously need to. The wedding planner is perfect. It's kind of incomprehensible in key points, but, uh, Justin Chambers does a perfect Italian accent. And by perfect, I mean, it's absurd. Um, anyway, uh, Hitch is phenomenal. Uh, it's Will Smith, Ava Mendez. Uh, I think it's also a slept on rom-com. It's just, I think because it's very self-aware and it's kind of meta because it talks about really, he's a relationship coach. Okay. And so to see somebody who's a relationship coach in a rom-com is an additional layer of rom-comness. Totally. Um, and then uh, in, in the YA space, um, because Viva Lola Espinosa is YA and I love the genre and I think it's so sweet uh, to all the boys I've loved before is, uh, Lana Condor, Noah Centineo. It came out, I believe, in 2018. Um, it's just so sweet. It's a perfect adaptation of its source material. What's the source material? There's, oh, is it a book? Uh, it, okay. It's a book. It's a book by Jenny Han. Um, and it's just, it's just perfect. Okay. I, um, I feel so embarrassed. I haven't seen, I have, I did definitely go through a period of just like never watching movie. I hope everyone can hear your cat meowing in the background. This is giving me so yes. much joy. Olive will say hi multiple times. Olive has entered the chat. I had a period of just being like, I'm just not watching movies about heterosexual romance. I just, I refuse to do it. And I don't really feel that way anymore. And I think part of it has to do with Pride and Prejudice 2005, which we just, we have to talk about. But before we do that... I'm going to keep saying that for like 45 minutes and I'm going to forget to what, what happens when I record with someone who uh, I'm having a fun time talking to is that I forget to get to the the thing of the show, but I, I won't do that. Um, let, let's just like talk about rom-coms generally, because you talked about, um, you, you, even in those list of movies, you talked about a few things, like you reference like things that make something a good rom-com and stuff like that. So can you talk a little bit about 
it, what um what makes something a good rom-com like what you need in a rom-com just some like some reliable things that if you see that in a rom-com you're like yes this is working I do think it is important to note that in the history of Hollywood and rom-coms uh there has been just an overwhelming amount of heterosexuality and whiteness and it's interesting to see the ways in which some of them are skewing away from that and changing that. Um, Obviously, Hollywood has always been white, so that's not just a rom-com problem. But I also understand why so many people, you know, in the queer community get annoyed by that. Yeah. It's just like, how many times can you watch straight, white, cis people fall in love with each other? I know, but at the same time, it does kind of feel like an anthropological... That's so true. Like... (laughs) What are these straight people doing? Yeah. Um, they're rituals. They're bizarre mating calls. I just, <laughs> you know, we just really go full like David Attenborough on it. <laughs> I really was thinking about this because I think it's interesting. There is a very large um, school of thought, particularly in books, that romance, um, the main criteria of a romance is a happily forever, a happily ever after, or at least a happily for now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are some things in the rom-com movie space that kind of subvert that. I think My Best Friend's Wedding is a perfect example. I also think My Best Friend's Wedding is more of a satire than a strict rom-com um, because, not to spoil it for for everybody, but she, you really don't want, like, she shouldn't end up with a guy. This is Julia Roberts, right? This is Julia okay. Roberts. Um, and so she really should not end up with a guy. She's not a good person, even though she thinks her intentions are good. And, like, love makes us do screwy things or, like, the idea of infatuation and love. So it's an interesting thing to explore. Um, but I really do think that the hallmark of a good rom-com is that if there is that happily ever after or that happily for now, you have to earn it. Like mm, you have to okay. make me understand why the crush and the love and the infatuation is there. If they say, I love you, you have to make me understand. Yeah, I, I believe this. I buy this. So when you say earning it, do you mean like we need to believe that these two characters are falling in love or is it more like they have to overcome an obstacle they they have to like earn their happy ending that kind of a thing yes i think okay. it's both okay 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 yeah i mean i think you know obviously with all with all good narratives and this is not just rom-coms the characters have to learn something otherwise why are we on this journey with them um it is as valid as as we were just talking, you know, the Hobbit and the epic of destroying the one ring. Mm-hmm. Um, the the aim goal is just not Mordor, I think it is. It's that just right. falling in love, which is valid and important. And we should take that as seriously as any other, you know, aim goal in any single movie. Totally, totally. Um, so... When were you thinking about? So let's talk about Lola. Were you you? This is your debut novel, right? Yes, Lola Viva Lola Espinosa is my debut YA novel. Okay, um, it's uh, yeah, it's based on the the very short sell that I've always told people is Wizard of Oz meets Pride and Prejudice, and oh, so now yeah. you can see why I gave you your homework. Yes. Um, set in Mexico City. Um, my family is from Mexico City. Um, I just really love it so 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 much and i'm so glad that so many people now are experiencing mexico city as well i feel like on you know instagram every weekend somebody is in mexico city on my feet totally um 
But uh, yeah, I mean, so to be perfectly honest, Lola is far more of the coming of age side than romance. Mm -hmm. But I do think romance is a very critical element of coming of age. And how do you navigate all your feelings, especially as a teenager, um, especially as a teenager where nobody's telling you how to do any of that is really important. Um, But in terms of the pride and prejudice element of those two mashups, um, I was actually far more interested in the Bennett family mm, um, mm-hmm. and just how crazy and, and just how opinionated and kind of wild they are um, and how much they're in everybody else's business because I have a gigantic family in Mexico and the way we show each other love is by being nosy. Totally. The the word that ca- came to mind when I was watching Pride and Prejudice was meddling. Like there's just so yes. much meddling all the time. And even in the meddling, you know, like Mrs. Bennett has a line where she's like, if you have five daughters, you tell me what else you think about besides getting them married. And I was like, you know what? Point. Yeah, totally. I get it. Yeah. Th- you, under- you understand why they are why they are. Yeah. And the meddling is also you know, it's an expression of love, I, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, a, I mean, and reading Lola. So there's so much interesting stuff about family and about like becoming, I don't know if it's like becoming, this is like one of those things you have to hear someone tell you what your book is about and oh, they, they may get it totally wrong. So, but, uh, you know, sorry in advance, but when I was, no, this is my favorite part. <laughs> okay. So I was like, okay, so this is, this is a coming of age story. This is like also someone kind of figuring out how to be a um a person that's like connected to their family but separate from their family at the same time like you know forging their own identity and trying to sort of like also like understand it's there's just so much interesting stuff where Lola you're in Lola's head and she's kind of figuring out all of these things about like life and family and adolescence and love and she's also at the same time trying to improve her spanish She's mm-hmm. working at a family restaurant. There's a lot of amazing food writing in the book, like where you're just like lightly drooling, reading about <laughs> the meals that they're eating. Was that, um, and I feel like food is also, I, I thought a lot about the food when I was watching Pride and Prejudice because you see them having these meals and they, you know, they're having these, they ha- they sit at a huge table that's like laden with just massive platters of food that, I think nowadays looks like very extravagant to us, but the family meals are like, and then they have these, like they have the casual breakfast and then they have the formal dinners. And, um, I'm wondering just like when you were working on Lola, if, if something that you were thinking about was like, let me get some food in there. Like, this is important for me to talk about. Um, it, it definitely was. Um, I mean, there is a joke. I've seen it on TikTok several times. I'm blanking on the comedian who, originated this um but there is a joke that a lot of mexican food is just the same five ingredients <laughs> remixed 17 different ways um so it's but it is really interesting too about you know here in the united states mexican food is mexican food you go to mexico and mexican food is just food and at the same time, um, I was, so I was actually shipped off to Mexico for the summer when I was a kid. Um, and my brother and I were complete brats and we would beg for Burger King. We were just like, no, we want pizza. We want burgers. And 
they have them and they're great, um, even, you know, at the food stalls. But I do think that um, there's so many different layers um, in terms of the food that is available, especially in a city like Mexico City, which is so populated and so varied and so diverse. Um, it's it's phenomenal that there are restaurants, um, you know, in La Roma and Condesa and all of these different neighborhoods that are getting a lot of notoriety and a lot of fame on Instagram. They're mm. becoming, you know, like really cool places to go. But there's also just the holes in the walls that mm-hmm. I personally really love. Um, whenever anybody asks me for like recommendations of where, you know, where to eat. And I'm like, okay, so if you go to El Zocalo, which is the big uh, city square, uh, I direct them to a tacos de canasta stand off the side of the road. And they're like, oh, no, we wanted something like, you know, with the name is like, no, these are tacos cost like the equivalent of 50 cents each. They are the best things you will ever They'll eat. change your life. Please go. Yeah. Um, And so really looking at kind of like the quotidian, you know, the day-to-day aspects, um, while knowing at the same time that the version of Mexico City that I know is very different from the Mexico City that somebody who has been born and raised there knows. It's also very different from the Mexico City that, you know, a strict tourist is going to know. And so what is that in between? Um, And I feel like Lola gets the same in between. And so that's kind of the Mexico city that she gets to explore and go between. And so it was really fun to research. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time on Google maps because I wrote the bulk of this book during the pandemic. Um, and so I was just on Google maps, like trying to weave my way around the city digitally. I was wondering about that because there's like a little bit of a road trip that happens and there's some specificity around where they go. And, um, I just, I, I was wondering if you went to research or if you were doing it online. Um, I was doing it online. Um, there was, um, I did go to Mexico for a month in the fall of, or the late, yeah, it was August. So it was around this time of 2021. Um, uh, but at that point I had already written the bulk of the book. Um, and that I didn't, I didn't go to Oaxaca, which is where the road trip goes to. Um, I, but I did, you know, spend three weeks or so with my aunt and my grandma in Mexico city and went around to all these places that I had either seen as a kid and wanted to experience as an adult or had never seen before because my, all of my trips had been focused on just seeing family and we couldn't actually do the touristy things, um, for all of the times I've been. But, um, yeah, so it was also really nice to study this and make sure that, you know, I was holding myself accountable to, presenting the city and its varied cultures in a way that, you know, wasn't holding on to like any ways that Hollywood might've typically portrayed it in in the past. I didn't want to be lazy about it. Totally. I think that, um, reading it, I felt very much like I was like, uh, that, that like Lola was experienced something that was like, and actually, like, she kind of, like, talks about that, like, th- this sort of, like, comes up when she's sort of, like, comparing, like, her understanding of Mexico cities to other characters, like Javi's. And um, I-, I felt like the Mexico City was, like, like you're saying, it's not a tourist experience. It's not the experience of someone who has lived there or grown up there, but it's, like, kind of this, it's kind of 
both and also neither. Um, yeah. Which is a really interesting, like, great, like not, it's not, it's not a liminal space. It's its own space, but it's, it's um, a little bit of each thing it seems. And I think that sort of fish out of water thing um, is, is much more interesting in this case because there is a fish out of water thing for sure, but also she's with her family and Mm -hmm. there are many things about it that are extraordinarily familiar to her. Um, and like Spanish is familiar to her, but also something that she's like struggling to become more fluent in and she's self-conscious about it. There's so much like, I, I, it's, it's obviously I'm pride and prejudice pilled. And (laughs) you told me to watch that movie because in part because of this conversation that we're going to have also about your book, but it's like, there is so much stuff about, you know, like I'm thinking about this scene in Pride and Prejudice where they, um, is it, is Pemberley where, um, is that where Mr. Darcy lives? Yes. Pemberley. Pemberley, Like where they're in it. And it's like, she's kind of exploring this new place and it's not, you know, she's not walking on the moon. It's a familiar like milieu. It's like a very wealthy person's beautiful home, but it's, she's kind of a fish out of water. She's kind of not, um, all the, the thing, the, the ways that like, I guess like going back to the food thing that like sharing meals shows up in rom-com. I mean, Ella, it's such a good book. Everyone, let me just be, let me just be clear. I really love the book and I think people should totally read it and we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, will there be a sequel? Uh, you know, I think Lola and Javi can just be happy in their own what if for right now. I'm working on other novels, Um, working on other things. Funnily enough, they're all, all of the treatments that I've been working on right now are set in the LA area. I just think that my childhood, you know, growing up was really, really fun. Um, Lola is not born and raised in LA and there, it actually becomes a point of contention throughout the book. Totally. Um, But she's, she's born and raised in Oxnard, California, which is, near but distinct from uh los angeles proper and that confusion i think happens for a lot of folks uh whether you know they're folks in mexico or even folks on the other side you know in the u.s who don't understand how big california is um but i also chose that um because oxnard is primarily latine and I didn't want Lola to have too much of a complete fish out of water experience. Um, obviously, there are people in Mexico City, in particular, who are not Latine, um, but the majority are. Um, and you know, so that way, it's still like a level of familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but Oxnard is, is very working class. Um, and many of the people who work in the area work for the farms. They are domestic laborers that shows up in not Lola's backstory so much as her father's backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, exploring that little bit of like family lore was also interesting as well. Um, but yeah, it just, there's so many elements of it that I really thought about and have like gigantic maps and playlists and, she also has an amazing best friend. And that's another, I I feel like I love a rom-com with like a really important best friend. In it. I love the Judy Greer best friend who's just here to mess things up. <laughs> totally, totally. Just like the, the, the best friend chaos. I, I want to also mention that 
on a previous episode of Oh, I Like That, our guest was Gina Cadlick, who um, at the very end, when we talk, when we have a nice thing to end on, her nice thing to end on was Lola. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. And she was. Thanks, Gina. Yeah. We love Gina in this house. We love Gina. Um, okay. Let's talk about Pride and Prejudice 2005. Let me say that I. I have seen the the BBC miniseries Pride and Prejudice, which is from 1995, several times. I've you know I really like it. I feel like who, what's not to like? So I went into how depression Barbie of you. <laughs> <laughs> there is a I know you haven't seen it yet, but there is a joke in the Barbie movie where depression Barbie just watches Pride and Prejudice 1995. Oh, that's inc- on repeat. That's incredible. And 26 people so far have texted me about it. Oh, my God. I'm sure I will, too, after I see it. (laughs) So I went into the 2005 Pride and Prejudice being like, all right, well, I I have something in mind already and I really like it. So what is this going to be like? Um, And I'm here to tell you, people, listeners, likeheads, it's really good. I really, really, really liked it. It's there's something that is like very compelling about it. And I've been trying to sort of figure out. So I was, I was talking to a friend of mine named Kenny. Hi, Kenny. I love you. Um, Kenny and I, like we play video games together. We write stuff for role-playing games together. Um, we both have like a love of certain kinds of like genre type things. And he texted me, I tweeted about, uh, Pride and Prejudice 2005 and he texted me and he was like, we have to talk about this movie. This is my favorite movie. And I was like, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Um, I, and, and then, so we watched it together later in the week. We, um, we like got on zoom and I queued it up and we watched it together. I shared my screen. And so I got to watch it through, I watched it myself. And then I watched it again through the eyes of someone who has a deep, deep, deep love for the movie. And, um, it was, it was a delight. It's, um, let me just say like two more things. I'm going to throw it to you, Ella. One thing is that I think, first of all, Matthew McFadden, who I only knew as Tom Wamsgans, who is the most, he's the dorkiest. He's, he's like, he's such a dork. And for a lot of the series has a very like, like a dark energy that I don't even really know exactly how to describe. And he's not a hunk. Like, and Matthew McFadden as Mr. Darcy is the hunkiest, like he's smoldering. He He's so appealing and he has the like, he, his hair is a little floppy and he doesn't, I really like his Mr. Darcy. It's different than, it's very different than the Colin Firth Mr. Mm-hmm. Darcy. I think there's like um, a lot more to actually like about, uh, just as a person about Matthew McFadden's Mr. Darcy and he get, he also there's an i i feel like Colin Firth's Mr. Darcy has a superiority and a um by the way I've never read the book let me just come out as not having read well, the book would you like to borrow one of my 18 vintage coffee <laughs> i i do collect. i do need to read it that is the next thing i'm going to read um he like so i i say that just to say like i have no idea if the adaptations are that are like doing right by the book or not. I only know my observations as a viewer of the movies. And Matthew McFadden's Mr. Darcy is, um, the reason I find him more likable, which to me makes the love story, um, 
more compelling is that he doesn't seem like he's as much of a dick as Colin Firth's Mr. Darcy seems. Colin Firth's Mr. Darcy and the entire series, the entire miniseries really is so repressed. Mm, It's mm -hmm. so stiff upper lip. That's so true. Yeah. It's so repressed. And that's the thing that actually drives me a little batty about it. I am not a historian of the time period. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure there was plenty of repression and propriety going along, mm-hmm. going around. But the thing I really like about 2005 is that they do something really interesting, which also Greta Gerwig's Little Women does, mm-hmm. is that they infuse it with the same kind of feelings and quirks that we would have. Yeah, that's It's a, a great very point. modern interpretation, but at the same time, we're not, I, I hesitate to call it modern all the way because we as humans just have simply not evolved. So perhaps our feelings are really what their feelings were mm-hmm. and we just, it's just unevolved. <laughs> yeah. um, so who's to say? Um, but like all of the like, the, the moment where they're about to angrily make out. Um, the, you know, I, I do think Matthew McFadden's Mr. Darcy is still an, a socially inept nerd, uh-huh. uh, which is critical to what Mr. Darcy is in the book. He's just a very rich, very nervous guy who has been given like kind of like a prince a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, everybody really respects him because he has all this money and he's just never been taught how to act right. And so it's made him weird. Totally. Um, and then Elizabeth Bennett comes along and knocks him down a peg. Um, I, I do think I love this romance in particular because Jane Austen is like, you can bully a man into loving you. And I'm like, you know what? Yes. I love that. Yeah, she totally, like, I, I was, when I was watching it with Kenny, I was like, Mr. Darcy in this version has like a kink for getting, for being like hostily flirted with and taken down a peg by Lizzie, which. Because nobody's done it no one's before. done it. And, you know, here here's my one thing though, Ella, like, Kara Knightley, like, is a toughie for me. First of all, as I think I might have texted or DM'd you, it's it's always, like, a true LOL, like, when there's, like, a quote-unquote homely sister. Because it's always, like, like uh, the, the actor who plays Lizzie in the 1995 uh, Pride and Prejudice is not homely. I get it. It's, like, compared to someone who's conventionally attractive, like her older sister Jane. Older sister Jane? Younger sister. Yes, older Jane sister, is the is oldest. Okay. You know, Jane's blonde and you know, she has all these like attractive to men qualities or whatever. I get that she's not supposed to be fugly. However, Kira Knightley, I feel like is no, like one of the things she's known for is being incredibly attractive. And so it's, it is a toughie to imagine Mm -hmm. that she's considered the homely sister I get that it's more complex than that. But the other thing is that I don't like love her as an actor or in this role or something like she's I was having like a transcendent experience of Matthew McFadden as Mr. Darcy. And I just wasn't having that about Kira Knightley. Um, it's so boring to talk about to be like, is is something bad or is something good that that's like not as interesting as like talking about it in a substantive way. But having said that, what do you think of, like, what what is your take on Kira Knightley's Lizzie? Um, 
I think it's serviceable. Okay. I think, I mean, part of the, also the reason why I, watch, I love this movie and why it is so good for a constant rewatch is because there are so many things happening in the background. Mm. Like, this is not a movie of tight, you know, close-ups and two people in a room, except when two people are in there. Like, it, it, it's very pointed when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are very busy scenes and stages and sets. And there is always something happening in the background where every single character or every single actor is in character a thousand percent of the time. You could watch this movie and just follow what Donald Sutherland is doing in the background because he's always doing something and he's always in character. And how they pulled that off is phenomenal. But there's always something happening where she kind of becomes more of like the straight man. And that she's just kind right. of reacting to everything. Right, right. And yeah, yeah. Which serves its purpose. She's like she's like an audience proxy maybe a little bit too. Yes. Where she's like kind of amid the chaos. Yeah, that's a really good point. This is also like a really star-studded cast, which I didn't realize it. So Donald Sutherland is Mr. Bennett. Um, Carrie Mulligan plays one of the sisters. Um, there's other... Who else? Jenna Malone is Jenna Malone. Lydia Bennett. Uh, Dame Judi Dench. Oh my God, that's right. Dame Judi Dench shows up and does the most incredible Catherine de Borg. Um, also, Mr. Collins, the like, yeah, the um, what are what are they called in England? Those like pastor dudes that wear those hats. Don't they have a very like a vicar or something? I don't know. Maybe he's or he's a he's not a priest, right? No, I he but he does have a rectory. And the living. So he's... He's a man of the cloth of some kind. A pastor. Okay. Yes. Um, That is... Like, that guy, like, emerged from the womb to play Mr. Collins. Like, and you cannot convince me otherwise. went on to just be the weirdest dude in uh, White Lotus. Wait, who is he in White Lotus? Um, In season two. Oh, my God. He's the guy with the villa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But he loses himself in Mr. Collins. And then you're like, this is just Mr. Collins. Oh my God, I'm freaking out right now. Live, live on television, live on Good Morning America. Holy shit, that's right. That, you know, I was saying to Kenny when we were watching it, I was like, this guy always plays like these little weasels, you know? And it's like, it's like a weasel with like a a different flavor in each performance. Um, Okay, so yeah, okay, great. So I agree with you. Kira Knightley is like adequate. It's like a a serviceable performance. Matthew McFadden steals the show. I love the this the actor. I don't know his name, but his interpretation of Mr. Bingley, I also really like. Just like a puppy. Yeah, just like just like trying real hard, like earnest, guileless. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I will shout it out to Bingley in that obviously the um, hand clenching scene gets a lot of love. But there is a scene that I love in particular. It's when Mr. Bingley is following Jane around at his party and he's just holding on to the tail of one of her ribbons on the dress. And like, it was like, I mean, that would have been scandalous and clandestine. But he's just like, I just, I just need to be near her. And so he's just like caressing this ribbon that is trailing behind her. Totally. Um, Uh, It's perfect. Yeah. It's definitely like, uh, uh, this movie, I think, also benefits from a lot of rewatches because there's a lot of little things to notice. Even only I've only seen it twice, and I noticed a bunch of stuff on the second watch that was really cool. Um, 
Kenny, when we were watching, was noticing things because I had the subtitles on and Mm -hmm. the subtitles pick up some of the background chatter, which, as you said, there's a lot of stuff happening in the background. And it's really cool because there's actual dialogue in the background. Um, There's just like a lot of cool, interesting stuff going on. There are some really amazing shots. I, I think the thing that I'm like most disturbed by is that I feel like Matthew McFadden's Mr. Darcy deserves like a better than Kira Knightley's Lizzie Bennet. That that's like my main sticking point. I I I really have no notes. Yeah. Okay. Fair. I I just I just I just love it. No so, notes. So, I love that. So much. I love that. I mean, I love it. I love it. This is like I I unreservedly recommend it. Um, but I just I. But I will say he is just completely like heads over heels besotted there is a moment like and again you really only pick up on this if you have the um, subtitles on um at the end of their big blow-up fight he says please but in a way that is so faint that you might miss it and it creates a double meaning of you know like is he saying please marry me or is he saying please forgive me like it's so layered and so good um, there's also the moment where, you know, she's saying that she's fond of walking after he's caught her snooping around his house. Um, and he's like, I know. And you can tell that he's like proud of himself for knowing these things about her. Totally. Um, and, and I really do think that's how it should be in that, again, the man is just completely enamored, obsessed. Totally. Just, you know, it just, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta be that way. I will say, um, in the scene where she like comes across comes upon Pemberley the moment where Keira Knightley really shines is when she laughs she's like oh I could have been like this could have been my house it's like it says everything in literally zero words you're right you're right she does have some like some moments yeah yeah totally and she she just like pops up out of the carriage and she's like oh my god I said no to this totally yeah who among us who among us um God. Yeah. I think that, um, I'm actually realizing that like, you you know, the restraint of the 1995 one, I don't even know that I like understood. I I would have thought of Pride and Prejudice as a rom-com until like this one, until the 2005 one, because there's, there are a lot of very like funny and amusing things that happened in the BBC one, but it does have a dourness to it and like a mm-hmm. melancholy to it um, that I feel like is absent from this one. Yeah. I will say that the book as it stands is far more a comedy of manners mm-hmm. um, and uses romance kind of as a vehicle to, not to sound too much like I'm an English I major, love it. but an, as no, an English please, major, yeah. um, the book really is a comedy of manners and society. It uses the romance kind of to underscore the circumstantial straits that the Bennett sisters are in and the economic precarity that they have. You know, mar- romance and marriage is kind of a means to an end mm-hmm. there. Um, so I, one of the things I do think the BBC version gets right and that I tried to replicate with Lola is that it's not just romance. It's everything else. It's family. It's all these other things. Um, but obviously the BBC version is also a six hour miniseries and 2005 is a two hour, 17 minute long movie. Um, and so you're going to have to, you know, pick and choose. And so clearly the filmmakers were like, okay straight romance this is this is what we're focusing mm-hmm. on 
Um, and actually, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which just came mm-hmm. out on Amazon Prime, and which is a delightful watch, also a movie adaptation of a romance book, um, did the exact same thing. The book is far more layered mm-hmm. with uh, the side characters and all of the different hijinks that they get into. But because the movie is two hours long, they really just focus on watching the first son of the United States and the Prince of Wales fall in love. That's adorable. And it's, I I truly recommend it. That book, that uh, book has been recommended to me a lot and I haven't gotten around to reading it, but that's, that sounds very sweet. Okay. Let's talk about Fire Island, which is the other one you recommended. Yes. Fire Island uh, came out summer 2022 by Joel Kim Booster. Um, It is a Pride and Prejudice remix. Uh, which has been done over the years. Um, there's there's plenty of versions of that. Not unlike Lola. I'm just going to plug this as many that, times that's as the I whole possibly thing. can. Do it. Um, but yeah, as, uh, Fire Island is, you, you can chart the source material very, very easily, but it's still very interesting to see the ways in which, you know, they've re, like, made it modern for their own community mm-hmm. too, given that it is about a group of gay friends on Fire Island, which is a gay Xanadu for their last summer on that paradise. Yeah. And it's like, and it's the, the main, the, the two like kind of like main, the, the, like the Lizzie Bennett and the, well, I guess is Howie Lizzie Bennett in the, or is, is Noah. Howie is Jane. Howie's Jane. Okay. Right. That's what I thought. But then I, I was like questioning myself. So both, so Joel Kim Booster is kind of the Lizzie then, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and, um, uh, Howie, Bo and Yang is the Jane and they're both, it's also about being an Asian American guy in a very, um, in like a, in like a white, in, in, in a, in a culture where like whiteness and like hard bodies and shredded abs and wealth are um, like important to the point of being like profoundly. Uh, yeah, that is the currency. If, if you don't have that, you're very marginalized. That's the currency, right? I don't know. I was having so much trouble yeah. saying that. So it's kind. So it's also kind of about that, which is interesting to me because when you said Pride and Prejudice, like the book is about a lot of stuff and like the romance is kind of a vehicle to get all that stuff in. I feel like that's also kind of what's happening in Fire Island. Do you think that's right? A thousand percent. And it's really interesting to see the ways in which they unpack that um, and explore it in a way that also doesn't need that much explaining. Like there's never a big moment where you're like, oh, this was the after school special speech. Totally. It feels very natural. It does. It feels really natural. Um they it's such an interesting adaptation or like I don't not adaptation. It's like it feels like it's like an insp- inspired by versus like adaptation of, but like, you know, there's kind of a there's a Mr. Wickham and um can you I, I'm not gonna try to do it and like bumble my way through it. Would you like briefly explain the Mr. Wickham thing? Like who he is in Pride and Prejudice, and then maybe also in any other texts that he might be relevant in. Absolutely. Yes, I have several (laughs) reference points. Um, George Wickham is the guy that, you know, you, or the person perhaps that you lock eyes with and you're just immediately like, 
you know, you feel all hot and bothered and they say all the right things. Um, it just feels like immediate connection. And for whatever reason, then their story starts not adding up. And you're like, hmm, maybe I should listen to this voice. But also, they really seem to like me. So I'm just going to continue to bask in this, you know, attention. And then they go and shank you. That's really... Like, so George Wickham is interesting because in Pride and Prejudice, you understand. And I think particularly in 2005, because it's Rupert Friend and he looks like, you know alternate reality Orlando Bloom that's what that's what my friend Kenny my my friend Kenny called him like like low budget Orlando Bloom or Brand X I can't maybe it was like Brand X Orlando Bloom or something like that they they were there was a similar mold being used uh, for each of them but you know had they cast Orlando Bloom it would have just been parts of the Caribbean which is also a perfect movie never seen it again Uh, obviously yeah um so Wickham is just very nefarious uh, um, and you feel like a complete, just, you know, you, you wish you could go back and fix that, um, once kind of like everything kind of hits it, but you can't, yeah. so now you have to figure that out. Um, so yeah, George Wickham is just like super charming in 2005. He's ostensibly attractive. Like he has all that currency, um, that we were talking about in, um, Fire Island, um, my personal Wickham. Somebody once called my personal Wickham, whose name is Rio, um, a Wickham with a Bingley rising because I also didn't really have a Bingley in there. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. I had to put a Bingley in there somewhere. Interesting. Okay. Um, and Rio is also my personal kind of skewering and send up of this concept of like the Latin lover trope. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, as I was writing Lola, I wanted to make very clear that this is not an eat, pray, love situation. This is not a, you know, you go to Mexico and you fall in love mm-hmm. and we're, we're not, we're not, it's, it's how I actually came to be. Um, my mother was on vacation in Puerto Vallarta and that's where she met my father. Oh, wow. And here I am. However, so it happens. So it totally, happens totally. and I get where it, it comes from. Um, but... Yeah, so Rio was kind of my skewering of this concept of the Latin lover that, like, it's not something to aspire to, to go to Mexico for a vacation and go dancing with a guy one night, um, because it's not it's not always going to end great. Totally. Um, Wickham's a great character. Uh, the, the Wickham in Fire Island is, you know, the th- like, to me, like, the, the things that I, I see in common between the Orlando Bloom, Mr. Wickham, what's it? Rupert friend, Mr. Wickham. Yeah. Rio who's in your book. And, um, I don't remember the guy's name in fire Island is that they're really like hot, just hot, like hot and mm-hmm. cool. It's like, it's not just about, and that's their personality. It's like, right. And they're really, they're like, they're cool and charismatic and they make you, f- they're like experts at making the objects of their affection feel like desired, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's something darker underneath. And um, I, I guess maybe I don't want to, I definitely don't want to spoil your book. I don't want to spoil Fire Island, uh, Fire Island for people who haven't seen it. But I do think that the way that Joel Kim Booster um, adapted the Mr. Wickham situation for 
the modern era and also for their community that we're like getting a glimpse into is interesting. And I liked, and I thought was, yes. Um, what, what else about fire Island? I, I, I should say like, I, I thought it was delightful. Um, I think it, it has like a, if you want a summary movie, I actually have to say, I've never been to fire Island. I've, I've been to P town and like Rehoboth beach and other gay summary places like that i've never been to fire island it makes you want to go to fire island it makes you want to go to the beach it's like shot beautifully you really get the vibe of like being in these places i i wonder what people who are regulars at fire island would say about like how it captures mm-hmm. these places um uh but yeah i it was i it was a delight what, what what's your like why why fire island like when i was asking you like what i should start with um, Fire Island, I really do love the fact that they don't really explain too much of Fire Island and its, you know, norms. There is a little bit of exposition just so people can kind of follow along. Um, but as just as we were saying, you know, with as they're kind of unpacking all these cultural, you know, barriers and stigmas and stereotypes and problems, um, they also present things, you know, like the pantry as like, this just is what it is. And so if you already are familiar with Fire Island, you're like, great, cool. This is what it is. And if you're not, you can still kind of get the vibe. Um, it is very much, you know, uh, it's it's not bending over backwards to explain anything. It also doesn't bend over backwards to explain queerness to non-queer folks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like either you're in for this ride or you're not. Like, are you buckled in because this is just the baseline now, which is really, really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, you know, obviously there have been a few more queer rom-coms. There should always be more. We need way more. Yeah. Yes. And totally. um, And so kind of showcasing, you know, the way in which it's moving forward, I think is really, really important Um, there. Yes. There should be so much exploration of that on every single level. Again, red, white, and Royal blue adding to that continuation. Mm -hmm. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see the way that like continues on Mm -hmm. hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, the strikes are putting a pause on all of that. So we'll see what happens. Um, But at the same time too, I think, you know, just as we were saying that, uh, Pride and Prejudice 2005 infuses a lot of this very familiar angst to us that, um, you know, doesn't feel as like stuffy or of a time as perhaps the 1995 miniseries did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fire Island shows that, you know, again, they're the same problems. Um, it, it's, you know, you can take this 220 year old book and remix it to whatever you need it um and it just kind of shows the timelessness of how important love and community is in a lot of really interesting ways mm-hmm. yeah it's so true like um that there there's so much about fr- like uh fire island is there is this romance stuff going on but it feels to me like it's so much more interested in um the friendship between uh Noah and Howie and the group I mean the the the, their their broader group of friends their their relationship with um I think her name is Erin she's played by Margaret Cho Mm. always a delight to see her and the so the friendship and the the closeness but then also the um the like discordance like the things that Howie and Noah don't 
can't relate to about one another. And, um, man, it's, it's, it's really, I, I love like a, a, like substantive rendering of a friendship, you know, it's, um, I, I loved Lola's relationship with Anna. Um, I, there's not as much of that in Pride and Prejudice that I can think of right now. There's kind of like Lizzie's relationship with what's her face, um, Charlotte. Charlotte. Um, but also Lizzie's relationship with her sisters, her sisters I think a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, that is a kind of friendship. Obviously, your sisters are, it's, you know, when you're family and you're stuck with somebody on that way, it's kind of different than friendship. Yeah. Um, but no, I think like Noah and Howie is just like, that's the true love story of Fire Island. Did you watch Sex in the City? I did. I have not watched the reboot, but I, I watched the original. Yeah, same. I, I felt like I, I felt sort of like whatever about Sex in the City. I was like, I get it. It's, it's cool. It's cute. We watched it in 2016. After Trump was elected, we were like, what are we going to do with ourselves? And we watched Sex in the City. And I felt like the most compelling and interesting parts of that were the like the arguments that the characters would get in and that with each other. And then like um, their makeups, like their figure, their navigating friendships. Um, and you see that in Fire Island and, and I just love it. And I love that that was such an important part of that movie. Yeah. I think, I mean, also it's so important to like kind of showcase how you make up as friends, um, whether that's in YA, whether that's in adult stuff, because sometimes it can be like in Lola, honestly, you just show up with a nice coffee and you're like, look, I was an idiot. It would work for me like 85% of the time if somebody were to do that. Like, because they're your friends and you're going to be like, yes, okay, let's just jump right back into it. Um, But, you know, there are other times where you do have to, um, you know, really kind of take stock and figure out, you know, how do I become a better person for this person who is platonically, um, it's just as important. Totally. Totally. Um, do you have a favorite all time, all time favorite rom-com? All time favorite And is it Pride and Prejudice 2005? It is not actually. Okay. Interesting. My all time favorite rom-com. And I know I told you to watch The Wedding Planner, but my actual all time favorite rom-com, I believe is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which is. Is that the Kate Hudson one? It's Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. Um, The most absurd premise that, given that I am a journalist, makes me want to die. Um, Because the entire point is that she's supposed to date a guy and then drive him away in 10 days. Um, And her boss says specifically, and this is what, like, makes my face want to melt off, 10 days because they go to press in 11 and I'm like, that's not, that's not how journalism works. It's so funny because, uh, my partner, when we, we took a road trip in October and we had a one night and or a couple nights in South Dakota and we got in like really late and we were staying in an isolated place and there wasn't a lot to like do. And so sure on the TV, how to lose a guy in 10 days was on. She's like, Oh my God, I love this movie. And I was like half watching it with her. And I was like, I, I wanted to like throw the television out the window at those parts, at the journalism parts. So she's like writing us. It's for a story. And it's like the yeah. stuff that you're talking about. Um, I, I, I like have a hard time with Matthew McConaughey. Is, is he, he's the guy in that, right? He's the guy in that. Um, I just, again, and he's so good at it when he wants to be yeah, good at yeah, it yeah, yeah. of treating 
his scene partner, a the woman, because it's it's these are very straight rom coms, both that and the wedding planner. Um, just like she's fascinating, and it's so sweet and like tender yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, you know what? More men should be tender. Like you need to show this. You need to show a guy being tender. Yeah, that's so real. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's actually like, it's hot. Like lean into it. It's not a weird, like emasculating thing. Um, but so when he's, when he wants to be good at it, he's great. He's perfect. He's sublime. Um, there is, and this is not to flip over, um, but in the wedding planner, there is that scene where he like declares his love, and it's so just heartbreaking oh. because you're like, oh, this this would be perfect literally any other time. Oh man, oh man, I need to see all of these. I think I'm gonna continue this um, this like zone I'm in and just keep watching all of these rom coms. Yeah, I think you should. I mean, it's it's such a great time for them. Obviously, like romance books are selling more than ever. Oh, interesting. Um, and there's also so many writers who are doing really interesting things to break down the genre. Um, there's more queer writers writing queer stories. There's more writers of color writing stories of color. There's the intersection of those. And there should always, always, always be more. Like, you know, the <laughs> there's so there's so many is relative to the fact that there used to be none very, totally, very recently. Totally, yeah. um, but like the more we can support them, hopefully the more there will be more. Um, and there's like, there's always something for everybody. There's the contemporary stuff. There's the super sweet stuff. There are the bodice rippers. There's like supernatural and like, you know, it, if that's your thing, that's your thing. Like have fun. Totally. Um, and so there, there's just so many things. And I think the more we can kind of like champion that and like not be weirded out or like to take it on the subway, um, like own it, love what you love, read what you want to read, watch what you want to watch. Totally. I think, and also I do think, um, you know, as you were saying that you, you want to read Pride and Prejudice, I think every straight guy should read and watch Pride and Prejudice. This is, this is the hill I will die on is that I think every single straight guy should do this. I made a guy friend watch it and to his credit, he did it. And he came back and he was like, so, you know, like what, a, I don't get it. Like Mr. Darcy like why and I was like I this is where I can no longer help right you. right it's like if you need remediation seek it elsewhere <laughs> yeah um I gave you the source material yeah I tried. it's on you to to figure it out yeah I I will say that my friend Kenny Kenny is a straight man good good for Kenny yeah good for Kenny we love you Kenny um and um I feel like if it's something that like straight men should watch to just like sort of like become better people in society. It makes sense to me that it's Kenny's favorite movie because he's like such a good person in society. So just everyone should go do that, uh, especially yeah. straight men, like get it together, figure it out. <laughs> we're going to we're going to move on to a nice thing to end on. Um I will start by saying that I have two recommendations. One will not surprise you. It is Ella's book, which again, I will link in the show notes. And the other is uh, Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin, which is as different from a delightful coming of age story as you can possibly get. Uh, but if you want a sort of um, kind of post-apocalyptic zombie-ish book um with some really incredible characters some really really interesting 
compelling ideas about gender and anti-trans ding-dongs and turfs. It is such a fucking good book. Have you read this book, Ella? I have not. Oh, God. It's so good. It's so good. It's it's like an intense read. Um, there's like a lot of uh, kind of like gore and stuff in it. I'm not usually like a horror person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a horror book, but um, it's really, really, really good. So um, that is my nice thing to end on. I read that. Um, I, 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 I've been reading a lot lately and, um, the, the, these Lola and Manon are like, I think two of my faves from the last couple of weeks. Um, Ella, you're welcome. What is your nice thing to end on? My nice thing to end on? Well, I've been referencing it throughout. Um, red, white, and royal blue is just, it's so cute. And you said it's on Amazon, right? Or it's on Amazon right now. It's very precious. Um, Taylor Zakar Perez, uh, is, like, this is his movie. He is a ray of sunshine. He is a star. Also, if he wants to play Javi, I will let him. Great. Um, a little bit taller than Javi, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> we can edit that in post. Um, <laughs> it's just so, it's, it's so cute. Um, and I really do think there's, you know, more rom-coms in the world. I think that's really, really useful and helpful. Um and then my, I, since you picked two, I want yeah, to. Yeah, please. Um, my other thing is, honestly, um, obviously, so Lola also has a lot of Spanish in it. And none of it is italicized. None of it is translated. Um, if you understand it, great. And if you don't, I hope you take it as immersive. Um, because if you go to Mexico, people are going to speak Spanish and they're not going to translate. And so that confusion is actually kind of replicating the experience. And so thank you for bearing with me. If you are confused, I promise you miss nothing. All of that to say, if you would like to practice your Spanish, I've actually been taking a lot of Spanish language classes on Peloton. No way. It is very Wait, limited. Pel- use oh, case. oh, I see what yeah. you're saying. Okay. Yeah. It's very limited use case because it's not like I can go around and like, you know, talk to people about squats right. in my everyday life, but it does help your understanding yeah. of it. Um, shout out to Rad Lopez, my husband, Rad Lopez, again, if you're watching, hi, uh, but I don't know. I just think it's like more platforms should have the multicultural language experience here in the U S. Um, and I think more people can and should learn a thing or two. I never would have occurred to me to like take a class in Spanish for the for like the additional purpose of like getting better at Spanish. So that's an amazing recommendation. The other thing I want to say though, is that, you know, in the way that like, if you don't understand the Spanish, like, you know, it's not translated, it's not explained to you. It's like, to me, similar to what you were talking about in Fire Island, where you are in the, you are in these characters world and Mm -hmm. your hand is not going to be held so that it can, well, I don't want to put words, I'm not saying this was your intent, but like for me as a queer person watching a bunch of queer people do their thing and like not explain, I was like, yeah, it's, you figure it the fuck out. And like, if you're not, you, it's, you know, let it wash over you in the same way that like, if you don't understand the Spanish, you can let it wash over you. Like you, you can understand mm-hmm. it as immersive. Yeah, it's it's very context heavy. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, if you want to Google it, you can, but it's kind of a nice experience to not mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, okay, I'm confused. And also, if to bring it full circle back to The Hobbit, we have let writers like Tolkien 
invent entire languages. Oh my God, no shit. And nobody has ever been upset about that. We can also include other languages that millions of people speak. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's, that's my soapbox. I love that soapbox. I feel like there are scenes in Game of Thrones with people speaking Dothraki and it's not translated and people are fine with it. So I think we can all, exactly. we can all agree it's fine. Um, if not great to be immersed in a, in a world <laughs> that someone is creating for you. Um, well, Ella, this has been a delight. We, I, we didn't say this, but like we know each other from like, we've, we've worked together. We know each other from the internet. We've never met. This is the first time we're actually talking and what a goddamn delight. I just loved every minute of it. Thank you for, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for writing this book. Um, please follow Ella, um, at, on all of her socials. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, and yeah, I mean, what else can I say? Read the book, um, get like, please like DM me on Instagram, your favorite rom-coms, rom-com, your rom-com thoughts. Like, you know, I, I, let's get into it. Let's like everyone join me in the rom-com zone I'm in. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to be here for a while. I think. Um, yes, I am always in it. So I also welcome that conversation as well. Nice. Love it. Okay. Um, this episode of Oi Like That was produced by Sally and Ella and edited by Aram. Amber Seeger designed our logo. Ella, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.